Welcome to Facts in the Field with Ag Valley Co-op. Across Ag Valley's trade territory, we have experienced many wildfires, including the 702 and 739 road fires. Dr. Randy Brown with Winfield United joins us today on a webinar that was hosted on April 27th to discuss the impacts these fires have had on our producers and their land. Uh, some of you may have some uh, irrigation, and this is just a personal experience. When I had a fire go through my my pivot, is I really struggled with that pivot for about a couple years. So, had basically had the tires burn off. We thought the pivot was in pretty good shape. Uh, we watered, made it around about three times, and that heat, a lot of the micro uh, micro. Uh, switches and with uh, the wire in there we just really struggled and so uh, don't mean to be the bearer of bad news but uh, at least in my opinion uh, when that fire went under that pivot we uh, we struggled we, we weakened that uh, system quite a bit so I guess my only thought there is uh, if you had a pivot and uh, and that it was affected by the fire uh, just keep an eye on it uh, you may have some reliability issues uh, going forward. Well, Jeff, I unmuted you. I, Kirk, if, do you have any anything you want to add, or or if, if there, I don't see where anybody's putting out any questions to us on the chat box. Oh, one of my concerns, Randy, obviously is all right. We've got some of these fields we've been no-till for probably twenty years. What obviously residue is our biggest friend out here. And now we've lost all that. We've talked about the soil structure on the top maybe inch, inch and a half. What, what's been the effect underneath that? Are we still okay there? Or with our long-term no-till situations, are we, is it basically our biggest goal, get residue back on there and then go forward? Or what should be our game plan? Yeah, that, that's a good question, Kirk. And, uh, you know, normally what we see in this, um, this type of situation, we, we really uh, have a, a large effect on the top quarter to a half inch and that's where we we get the temperatures in the soil that we destroy that organic matter destroy some of our structure we also uh the microbial activity also and, and we've disrupted the microbial activity of that probably that top half inch and when we get below an inch in most cases unless the fire we had a large amount of residue and it, and it stayed there for a long time uh, probably below that inch, we're still pretty good shape. We probably haven't uh, destroyed that structure. We, that soil's a pretty good insulator. We've probably got, uh, may have a slight effect on the uh, organic matter, the carbon down there, but it wouldn't be as great as, as the top. So I think to your point is that the sooner we can get some, uh, some residue on there and start building that back up, I think these soils will recover uh, fairly uh, fast. Now we have had an effect on the mi microbial population and, and that microbial population is the greatest in that top half inch where, where we've done some, uh, some damage to that. So a lot of times after uh, uh, we have a, a flood or potentially a fire, we call it a fallow effect. And uh, for, for those of you that are either in a fallow period or in the past have uh, fallowed, we know that when we don't have living material out there that we uh, reduce the uh, amount of, uh, of microbial activity out there. I expect the same thing. I think it will come back quickly. 
uh, Gert, probably mid-year, but we're going to have kind of that fallow effect uh, starting out. We may we may struggle a little bit on nutrient turnover and, and some of the normal processes of the, of the soil. Anything we can do to start building up residue is going to be our friend. Uranium microbial activity, the oh, the ones that we can apply once we get some plant matter growing out there, would those be a benefit or is it basically let's get the residue out there and it'll come back on its own? Yeah, I would focus on getting the residue, getting a crop growing and it will come back on its own. Uh, there'll be a lag time, but a lot of times with those microbial uh, products that we uh, would put out there, we don't have a lot of food source for them. So we've burnt that away uh, with that organic matter. So I'm not sure a lot of those, the addition would survive. So our microbial population is gonna repopulate from the bottom up. So that population that has not been affected uh, inch, two inches below, as we get a food source up there towards the, the very surface, we get a plant growing or we get some residue on there, uh, that native population is gonna be pretty, pretty quick to come back. But a lot of these products, Kirk, I think uh, we just don't have a food source in that very surface anymore. So I, I just don't see the, the survivability of them being that great. I know moisture. Go ahead. Um, this is Kurt. I, I just was wanting you to talk a little bit about like the temperatures of these fires. I mean, we've heard it being all over and what that actually does to the soil. Um, if you can, and, I, and I'm more looking on pastures and stuff, but we need to look at it on the crop side of it too, so. Yeah, so um, the more heat, the longer that fire was in an area, the more detrimental uh, effect it's gonna have. And so uh, in some areas where this fire moved very rapidly because of our very high winds, uh, the soil uh, temperature was probably not as great as when we got in some areas that were maybe more protected or where there was trees and a pasture situation that the fire got uh, more intense. Uh, there on the crop ground, a lot of times that, that moved fairly quickly because as those winds fueled that fire across there, that above ground um, residue um, was, was pretty uh, quick to burn. And uh, probably those, those temperatures didn't get as hot. Where you're more concerned is maybe some low areas where uh, we had more residue, where it was protected, uh, in pastures where you had trees uh, out there that had uh, a continued burn. The, the longer that burns, the more intense the heat, the more we drive that in, uh, heat into the, the soil, the greater effect uh, we have. So uh, that's why a lot of times when we burn off pastures, we like to have a, a pretty good fuel source out there. Um, and as far as uh, grass, and so we can move that fire uh, rapidly. It's, it's, a, it's a quick burn across there because that's less detrimental to the soil. Randy, we, we know we've got a question uh, that Dennis McConville uh, wants to ask. Um, Dennis, if you could just chat that into us. Um, I, I'm having trouble finding you on the on the, the works here. Um, one question, this is from Taylor. If you use tillage to break up the soil to soak up moisture, how deep would you recommend working it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of it uh, depends on soil type and if you have any moisture below uh, below that you can get into. So my, my uh, thoughts are if we're just trying to repair this hydrophobic part of the soil where we're excluding, I would probably not till much more than than three, four inches. If we're trying to bring up and throw some ridges uh, to stop some wind erosion, if we could get to some uh, some moisture, you know, maybe going to that six uh, inch or so with a chisel type operation might, might be beneficial. I wouldn't till any deeper uh, than you think you have to, to repair this uh, structure or get some ridges out there. Uh, we're still in a drought, uh, extreme drought in a lot of this area and uh, moisture conservation is is kind of a, a key and so uh, I would keep it fairly shallow. Randy, one of the questions that I had was so if we've got a burn pivot, I, do we want to double inoculate the soybeans? If it's going to soybeans, would that be a wise choice? I'm assuming with what we talked about it would be. So. Yes, I, I definitely would. Again, you, when you look at the rhizobium that uh, causes the infection on soybeans, uh, we've probably taken those populations down. So if you're going to go to soybeans, I think it's a really good uh, recommendation to uh, double, double inoculate those, make sure we get the survivability accounts out there. Because we know what happens if we don't get um, good inoculation on those soybeans, we struggle with nitrogen all, all season long. Well, cover crop we discussed last time, granted three weeks ago, we talked about putting cover crop on these dry land acres or and the irrigated acres to prevent our wind erosion part since our soil structures destroyed on the top half inch. So where we're now almost the end of April, what what should be our game plan? Is it still get a cover crop out there so we don't sandblast our crop when it does come up? Is it a Pivots, I'm assuming, is a little different scenario than dryland, is the way I would look at it. Yeah, it, it is, and you know, really, there's, there's, in my mind, there's not a good answer there. Uh, so, if we could get a cover crop established and stabilize that ground, that's beneficial. Uh, I think we're getting late enough in a lot of cases, especially if we're going to corn or beans. I might be tempted to just get that crop in and see if I can't establish that. The problem is I think by the time we get that cover crop established and get any kind of height out there, uh, we're probably gonna already have our, our crop in and, uh, and uh, we would uh, probably try and stabilize it uh, that way. Dry land, I think I, I may think about this a little bit different, uh, especially if I was uh, thinking about going to some kind of a forage sorghum or some kind of a feed. I think there would be an opportunity maybe put a cover crop in there, stabilize that soil and then come back in later, hopefully after we've had some more precipitation and, and establish uh, some kind of a, uh, a sorghum, milo crop, uh, feed crop in there. I think, I think the cover crop makes sense to me in that standpoint. But I, unfortunately, I think by the time we got our cover crop out there and established, we would be into the time point where we'd be, be planting and um, and getting that original crop up that we intended out there. And um, under irrigation, not as big of an issue, uh, except for the fuel price, but uh, uh, that cover crop will will use uh, moisture too on some of these dry land uh, acres. And this year we're, we're at a deficit. Irrigated wise, if 
say we've got pivots we're going to plant a cover crop on come in May 20th and we've got a cover crop that's probably two three inches tall at that time do we just plant right into it kill the cover crop after we see corn emergence so we do kind of hold that soil there a little bit yeah I think that's what I would be tempted uh, to do Kirk is uh, and I've actually done that up here where I've planted uh, into a cover crop and then uh, let those seedlings uh, establish especially if you're this time of year you're not going to get that much grow, growth come in especially if it's a grass cover crop hit it with some glyphosate or something and usually you can uh, take that out pretty uh, pretty effectively so that would be my recommendation if you put a cover crop in i'd leave it standing plant into it and come back and, and terminate it after that so you know i had some questions on prevented planting acres after the first fire and talk about just how could we build our residue back and um had several guys talk about okay let's put a spring cover crop out there now terminate it say in july and then turn around and plant wheat back in there and hope the wheat stand and hopefully by this time next year we actually have got most of our residue back is it obviously it's very moisture driven given our dry land scenario here is this a two, three, four, five year process if we would go back to normal rainfall or what is your initial thoughts on that residue management? Yeah, so I think we can, um, there, there's two, two parts of that. So the, the cover part of it, that uh, residue that we leave on the surface, we can recover fairly quickly from that. I think that is a good idea if, if you were gonna come back to wheat, get a cover crop in there, get it established. The other thing is that cover crop's gonna help us with uh, moisture conservation. Yeah, we, we will use some water with that uh, cover crop, but also uh, we know that we're gonna reduce our transpiration rates and our infiltration rates will be a lot greater with that. So we may not have as much of a detrimental effect on, on the soil moisture as, as we may think. Uh, long term, there's probably a couple, three years for some of these no-till guys that had, you know, that top inch or so with a lot of organic matter uh, in there. It's probably a, a couple, three-year process to start rebuilding that. What we what we like to term that active carbon part up there that the microbial populate, population lives on. That's what's going to be most uh, most affected. And that's going to affect our microbial population for a period of, of a couple years. But uh, fortunately, you know, the, the above ground cover and we start adding residue, we start that, that process of recovering fairly quickly. Um, I know I've seen producers out there um, disc after the fire has gone past, not per se in this case, but I have seen it and hope to get some ridges out there and then i think they're trying to recover some of the nutrients so the ash doesn't blow away well i think with our extreme winds our ditches are probably full of most of the ash so i don't know if that is a good nutrient recovery way or is it okay let's get a drill out there and try to get a crop established first and then move forward from there yeah, so from a nutrient recovery standpoint, I don't think the tillage is, is all that uh, effective. I think it's more effective if we're, we're trying to um, 
increase infiltration rates after that uh, fire has kind of sealed it off or if we're trying to stop wind erosion uh, out there. Uh, I think if you had the opportunity to go in there and with some kind of a, a drill and put a cover crop, you're going to throw a little bit of ridges, you're going to have that effect on it. To me, that's a better solution than, than maybe even disking if you have that opportunity to put a cover crop in there. Do you have any questions from anybody that's joined us on the call? I know Fran had a question on um, yield. What would be our yield severity? But I'm assuming on dry land, that's basically how much moisture are we going to get this year? So. Yeah, that's, you know, what Mother Nature does for us here on out is uh, yes, going to be the, the, the biggest factor in that. I would. Just personally, I would assume that on some of these dry land acres with us losing that residue, with us losing some of that um, uh, infiltration potential of that soil, we're gonna have a yield effect on, on this crop, uh, unfortunately. Now, under pivot, uh, that yield reduction may not be as severe. Or there may not be any if we can get uh, timely uh, rain in. But I think, you know, especially with some of the intensity of the rainstorms we've had here in the last few years, we're going to struggle to get that moisture in, in the soil on these burn affected uh, areas. We're going back. If we can irrigate enough to keep in front of the watering situation, I thought was treated like a silage taker last year. You'd lost all your residue. Basically, you're you're sitting there. So if you can attack it and have enough nutrients to provide for the corn crop, it shouldn't actually probably hurt your yield too much. I, I think that's spot on. Uh, I think first of all, I would just watch that first uh, irrigation. Make sure. Uh, that we're not getting a lot of runoff on there. You know, maybe uh, start early, uh, get some, some water, start to build up that profile. But uh, on, on the irrigated acre, I think that, uh, you know, with management, we can mitigate any kind of yield loss we have. Thank you for tuning in to this Agronomy Wildfire webinar. If you have any questions, please reach out to your Ag Valley Co-op salesman. More information on salesmen can be found at agvalley.com. Ag Valley Co-op, building tomorrow together.